everyone. Welcome to night three of the Hawks Insiders Trade Week Safe Space. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. It's uh, been an interesting day in the trade period and the landscape has shifted. There's a lot to talk about. So really excited to get cracking tonight. We've got a couple of guys joining me again, making his return by popular demand is uh, AJ. Welcome back, mate. How are you going today? There has never been less popular demand for someone to appear on one of them than there is for me. Thank you, Princey. Good to be back. And it's great to have you, mate. It was uh, good fun to chat through last night, and uh, I know we've got a lot to talk about this evening. Uh, joining us as well to give another perspective and to tee off is a good mate of mine, Nat. Martin, Nat, uh, thanks for jumping on, mate. No, thanks, Danny. I uh, wish it was in more uh, joyous circumstances for the uh, Hawthorne faithful that I was making my debut. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me and keen to have a chat with you. We've also Absol- surrounded you by Tasmanians now, Danny. Oh, you, yeah, you've, absolutely, you've been- mate. I actually mentioned that to him today. I said he's the lone Victorian holding down the fort here with us Tassie boys. <laughs> Five heads between the three of us. Yeah, no, no, very good. I've only been hearing it for 10 years in Victoria, mate. Need some new material, please. Uh, that's all we've got and we'll stick with it. Awesome. Well, we get stuck in straight away. Um, it's uh, it's a, a really good opportunity for us to have a bit of a chat about everything that's happened. Uh, we've got 30 minutes. We're going to knock it on the head quickly because um, there hasn't been too much uh, movement from a Hawthorne perspective, but there has been uh, a bit of a knockback going our way, which I'm sure everybody's aware of. So we'll touch on that straight away. We want to keep it pretty light and up, uplifting tonight. We want to keep a, a positive spin on things, but... We do need to get stuck into the deal of the day or the the nomination of the day. Jack Bowes did not nominate the Hawks. And I think we all sort of thought that this might happen, uh, but we were proven to be correct. Those who held out hope like my optimistic or overly optimistic self um, was heartbroken this afternoon. I, I think I tweeted something along the lines of it was a bit of a gut punch, and I think that's what it was for most Hawk fans, mainly because of the flexibility um, that a Bose deal would offer us. Um, AJ, your immediate reaction? It's really strange because I think a lot of us would have seen the comments that Mark Stevens made on RSN this morning about that Hawthorne was starting to feel really confident that there was a chance of this happening, and particularly the Jack Scrimshaw factor had played into that. Um, what my immediate reaction was to try and separate how I was feeling was that, am I genuinely disappointed that we're not getting Jack Bowes or am I disappointed that we're not getting pick seven? And I like Jack Bowes. I think he would have been a good addition, but I think the overriding factor was, well, this is really, really more disappointment about pick seven than anything. Oh, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it was all about, and look, this is zero disrespect to, to Jack Bowes, but it was all about, uh, the pick seven and the flexibility that gave us at the at the trade table and then also at the draft. If we go in with uh, with two top ten picks, we add a bit of steroids to the rebuild or the retool, whatever you want to call it. And unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Uh, not this way, anyway. Well, that's exactly right, and, and we I, I want to make that clear. And you've also touched on it too. That is in no way disrespect to Jack Bowes. I think. Jack would have been a really good addition to Hawthorne. He would have been made a difference to that midfield, particularly with it looking more and more certain that Tom Mitchell's on his way out of the football club now. But 
that's kind of what it came down to is that we were looking beyond that into how we could strengthen the rebuild and that's where the disappointment is going to come from. I think the biggest thing for me is that it, it gives us a lack of flexibility, like you've said, at the draft table. Like, with Gunston going to Brisbane, there's a real need now for a key forward as well. So it could even, you know, the ideal situation if we got Bose or that we could get either a Jai Clark or a Cam McKenzie as that, you know, midfielder that we desperately need to bolster our midfield stocks. But we could also have a look at maybe an Aaron Cabinet if he was available as well, who's probably the, uh, and I'll throw to Pinsy here, being the um, the Hawks draft guru, probably the best key position forward in the draft. And obviously there is a spot there for us now. Oh, without a doubt, Cadman, if he was available, we would have bitten off the hand that fed uh, to get a piece of him. I think he's a, he's a, a the top key forward in the draft by a considerable margin. I think if we had the two picks in the top 10, we'd probably also look at maybe taking Matthew Jefferson a bit earlier than he's projected. He's projected around 10 or 11, 9, 10 or 11, but we would have had a look at him being another key tool uh, that would have been an option. Might get straight into a question here, boys, that's come through on the chat while we're talking flexibility. Scamasaurus here saying, do we split our pick six to get two Giants first rounders now that we've missed the golden ticket that is pick seven? What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. Look, I, I think we probably need to take the best available midfielder. I mean, particularly with Mitchell going to Collingwood as well. Obviously, next year is going to be pretty rough for us in the injury room. There's going to be a lot that's going to rely on, you know, Newcomb, Ward, um, C-Mac will probably play more outside still. So, I I mean, I don't know, I don't know if Jai Clark's a flight risk now back down to Geelong because apparently the 74 kilometres from Melbourne to Geelong is a big homesickness factor according to Ollie Henry. But, um, yeah, I, I think if the best available midfielder is there at pick six, then we should just get him. That's my opinion anyway. I think it's definitely worth a conversation. I like that uh, Scamasaurus has brought this up because he's – he's given us a good segue into a, a conversation I was planning to have uh, around the picks that the GWS Giants have already accumulated in this draft. They currently have picks 3, 12, 15, and 19. So four picks in the top 20, and they're not even done dealing. They've still got to deal Jacob Hopper and potentially everybody else that wants to leave that club. So they are right for the picking if we were keen to split pick six, I probably lean towards your line of thinking that, but if they were open to 12 and 15 for six and we had identified that there's a drop off after pick five, which is kind of where the draft experts tend to think that there is. So there's, there's Ashcroft who's tied to the lions. Then there's Wardlaw and Cadman and Sheasel and Sardis. And then after that, it evens out or flattens out a little bit between about 6 and 15 sort of sort of thing. So it might be an option. It might be something that we consider uh, just in terms of trying to get in as many top 20 type talents as we can and then back our developmental guys who have proven that they're very good at what they do to do the job of developing those talents into elite players. Uh, what do you reckon, AJ? I tend to be on Nat's line of thinking. I think you go the best available player in that situation. And I, I'm not a, as far across the the draft as you are, Prinzi, in terms of what the talent pool is going to look like. But I get I get the feeling by the time you get to 12 and 15, you've already lost a considerable bit of depth in terms of talent. So unless there was a really legitimate reason to believe that a player we might be interested in is going to slide that far, I'd probably stick to six. 
Yeah, and I reckon if any deal is made in that space, it's probably not made in the trade period. It's probably made on draft night, depending on who's available when we pick um, and who's still available you know, later, later down the track. And that's um, the huge advantage that comes with the live trading that we have now is that these decisions, as you just pointed out, they don't have to be made right now. If no, we want just, to look at that down the line, we can look at that down the line. Just one quick uh, question, Prinzi. Just say, devil's advocate, that Cadman was available to us at six. There's an obvious need for a midfielder, but I know you're a massive fan of him. What would your thoughts? Would you be? I know you wouldn't be disappointed, but would you? It'd be pretty tempting to take him if he was there. I wouldn't even think twice. I'd take him straight away. Uh, that's how. That's how much I rate him, and that's how much I think he's the perfect complement for Mitch Lewis. We touched on it yet uh, previously uh, yesterday, just quickly. Um, the style of player he is and the um, ability he has, I would take him knowing full well how much help our midfield needs, mainly because I think we're going to be at the pointy end of the draft again next year. There's some cracking young midfield talent next year as well. And um, you don't pass up opportunities to take sort of generational forwards. The Hawks showed it under Clarkson. When they were rebuilding, they took Buddy and Ruffy at the same time and they let them come on and then filled midfielders around them. So uh, I'd absolutely take Cadman if he was available at our pick, for sure. Um, a question's come in from Doc, and he has said, uh, who is likely available at pick six? So I mentioned the guys that are probably going to be gone before our pick. So they, they were Ashcroft, Wardlaw, Sardis, Sheasel, and Cadman. After that, you're looking at the guys that you mentioned, Nat. So Mackenzie, Jai Clark, who the Cats really want. And I know uh, Glenn has commented as well, we need to take Clark and piss Geelong off. I'm happy to do that. I think Clark in and of himself is worth taking at that pick regardless of whether Geelong want him or not. But if, if we can spite them a little bit as well, or if Clark is available and we look to take him and Geelong want him so badly, possibly we can get an extra asset out of them um, by sort of holding that pick. Kind of like what... Um, what happened with the the Mavs and the Hawks in the NBA when they draft Luka Doncic and Trey Young? If there's a if if the Cats really want Jai Clark, maybe we can get a second round pick out of him for for him for them to move up a place to grab him. I like that we're back on the spiteful towards Geelong train because after directly after the grand final, as weird as this is. I had positive feelings towards Geelong and Joel Selwood's performance on that day completely is the reason for that. And now I'm like, ugh, I'm over it. Can we get back to being miserable towards these blokes again? Yeah, Yeah, normal service. I hate to bring it up too, but I'm a little bit scarred the last time we took a key forward at six with Geelong having the next pick. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. I think Um, I told this story on the trade space. Shout out to Mitch Thorpe if you're listening. I think I told this story on the trade space last year, but... When I interviewed Mitch Thorpe after a game when I was working for AFL Taz, he tapped the Hawthorne logo on my jacket and said, sorry about that, mate. <laughs> Don't rub salt in the wounds. Uh, George, he's a, he's a ripping bloke, Thorpe, I have to say. Yeah, shame he wasn't a ripping footballer. Um, George Harrick has uh, chucked a question in the chat as well, asking if there's any chance of trading a future second and third for one of GWS's picks. Well, I reckon it's a good question because if they're aiming to get another couple of firsts, potentially a future and one in this year's draft for Jacob Hopper, they are going to have too many first-round picks to be able to use. So they will be looking at what 
they can do in the trade space to either be able to bundle those up and get higher up the draft or potentially trade one out and trade into next year's to give them more assets next year to go to, uh, to the trade table. So I think that's one to keep an eye out on, probably more likely on draft night as well. And the beauty of draft night trading is that um, lots of options and opportunities are on the board at any given time. Um, so good question, that one. Uh, while we're at it, I will say, please jump on, request to speak. I'll get you on, ask a question, have a chat, um, find out what it's like to be, for these boys, uh, Andrew and Nat, to be Tasmanians of Victoria and how they're going. Whatever you want to talk about, we're here to talk about it tonight. Happy if there's enough questions we can roll over past uh, past nine o'clock. I don't think any of us have curfews. So, uh, but until we get some questions, I'll roll on with the news of the day. Just um, quickly, Princey, Melbourne boy, 13. Is there someone on our list maybe considered untouchable who we could trade for a better overall outcome? Uh, that is a question I hadn't really considered. Um, I don't know if we would trade untouchable players. I'll, I'll tell you the ones that I wouldn't trade unless North were able to get their hands on pick two and said, uh, we'll give you pick two for somebody. I, I wouldn't trade Josh Ward. I wouldn't trade Connor McDonald, Sam Butler. I wouldn't trade Will Day. Um, I probably wouldn't trade Denver Granger Barras. I still think very highly of him. Um, and most of our young guys, I think we need to build around. Jai Newcomb, obviously not going to trade him. And Dillamore, I wouldn't trade either. So uh, I think they're the untouchable ones. I don't know we need to get that creative in terms of our trades. I think we more want to try to get creative around the future picks, um, potentially fringe players, working out deals for Tom Mitchell and Jack Gunston and what that looks like. We'll touch on that a little bit more in a minute. Um, there's enough there for us to do a few things, uh, you know, that we want to try to achieve in this in this draft uh, in this trade period without having to resort to trading gun players. One thing, just quickly, do you do you see or um, anyone else but Meek coming in from us? So obviously that seems to be a bit of a done deal, which I don't mind. Obviously gives Reeves a little bit of a foil, and we don't probably have to give up too much for him. I would have thought maybe a future third would get that done, but I can't really see in terms of incoming what else we would be doing. For them. I mean, I know there's still a week left, but just keen to get your both thoughts on that. No, I think that's more where you're looking You're looking at your delisted free agents and your SPP kind of picks as the only other guys who, outside of the draft, will possibly be coming into the club from here. I think you're spot on. Um, keep, we'll keep going. Uh, there was some late-breaking news uh that there's a proposed trade three-team deal for Jason Horn francis in the works. It's not official. Nothing's official. Uh, but the trade is a big one. And there's been a couple of conflicting reports that maybe the Eagles aren't so sold on it and they want a bit more added to it. But as it stands at the moment, pick two from the Eagles goes to North. Pick eight and a future first goes from Port to the Eagles. Jason Horn francis goes from North to Port Adelaide and Junior Rioli goes from the Eagles to Port. What are our thoughts on that, Nat? Uh, I reckon it's a massive win for North to start with. Um, there's a bloke that obviously doesn't want to be here and doesn't want to be there, sorry. Um, and I think if you're in North's position, I think you should try and sell as high as you possibly can. I mean, I don't think he's stock, particularly if he stays another year at North. And obviously we know, you know, there's obviously issues. He clearly doesn't want to be there. You, you would have thought his performance probably isn't going to be 
at a standard where you're going to get as big a haul for him now. So if you can offload a pick one that's played, what, 15 games and get one, which they've already got, and two in, and potentially pick up the two, uh, is it Satsis? I think you pronounce his name, and Wardlaw. Potentially two Oakley Chargers boys or in Sheasel or whoever that takes their fancy. Two um, Victorian boys that are probably more likely than not going to stay. I think that's a massive win for North. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. And look, I as much as it would be so smart for them to take uh, Sardis and Wardlaw and pair the two mates together, kind of like Gold Coast did with Raul and Anderson, North would be stupid not to take Aaron Cadman with pick two, which if we keep in mind, will end up being pick three with the Lions because North, again, would be stupid not to bid on Ashcroft. Um, but taking one of Wardlaw and Sardis and Cadman fixes a need in midfield with an elite talent and a need up forward with an elite talent. It'll be one to watch if that trade goes through. What they actually do with it will shape the front end of the draft Um considerably. So that's a, that's a watch and see, I think. I you would think, want um, so much more out of that deal if I was West Coast too. That feels like West Coast are big losers in that situation to me. Particularly, particularly two down to eight. I mean, like you've said, there's a big drop-off after the top five who are, who are standouts really in this draft. So to drop from two to eight and then get a speculative, what is it, Port's future first? And I think... I'd yeah, so it would be a mid-pick. Yeah, so I think Port will go all right next year. Like, they're I mean, they probably have to make the eight for Hinkley's sake. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a big loss for, for West Coast if that's the, that's the case. Yeah, and I think the reporting around it um, from a couple of WA reporters was that it's not a dead deal, but West Coast want uh, a fair bit more. And you'd be expecting they'd want at least another sort of future second or something like that to, to make it worth their while. Um, but it's interesting, I think, you know, we haven't had... Uh, Many first round picks traded uh, or number one picks traded and, and, you know, like Tom Boyd was the the major one a while back and um, Jason Horn francis after a year wanting to move home. Um, it's, it's exciting for the trade period, if nothing else. Um, guys, I want to get your thoughts on a late one from Mitch Cleary on 7 News. Reese Matheson and, uh, has put his hand up exploring a trade AJ, we talked about players that um, we might be potentially interested in. Any interest at all in Reese Matheson? Uh, I don't mind Reese as a player. I, I actually quite like him. It, the, people aren't huge on his attitude and you know, calling himself the barometer and things like that. That doesn't worry me at all. I, I like someone who's got a little bit of confidence in himself. For Hawthorne, no, nah, doesn't, it doesn't fit with where we're going, I don't think. Yeah, I'm very similar. I, I mean, he's not the worst footballer. I think he's a very, 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 very good VFL footballer. Um, yeah, if we got him, Box Hill would be stoked. Um, but, yeah, I just don't really think he fits. I mean, what, he'd be 25, 26. I just don't really think he fits our uh, our current uh, list structure. But um, good to see he's a big fan of Mark Williams and we can bring back the shotgun if we do get him. <laughs> and we've got a coach now that will allow it too. So that's, uh, that's helpful. Uh, I'm... Uh, for what it's worth, and my opinion means not a lot, but I am exactly the same as you guys. I think Matheson is a is a very good VFL footballer, but we've delisted a few very good VFL footballers in Tom Phillips and Dan Howe, and I'm not sure we want to be replacing them with just very good VFL footballers. I think what we want to do is, you know, take the punt on kids or bring in players that we are absolutely convinced, like Lloyd Meek, just need the opportunity and they can cement themselves as as straight up first choice AFL players. So 
Um, good that we all agree on that one. Um, let's go into a few of the deals that did happen today. Uh, firstly, Zane Cordy um, signed with St Kilda as a free agent. Any thoughts on Zane, Cord- Zane Cordy to the Saints, fellas? Uh, it just seems like a very St Kilda thing to do, doesn't to be honest. it? Like, doesn't it? Just, oh, mate, I send it to one of my best mates. I'm like, is this not the most Saints-like free agent thing of all time? Um, Absolutely. I don't know. He'd be good head of their Mad Monday committee after seeing his form out of the Railway Hotel this year. Um, look, he's he's fine. He's an adequate AFL footballer. Like he'll probably just you know be their third key back or something like that. But it doesn't really overly excite me. Yep, fills a role. I think it's. It's a, it's a thing that happened, is what I would put it down to. <laughs> that, that is not a true word was spoken in this podcast. It was a thing that happened. Um, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think that it's such a typical St. Kilda deal, and he, he probably just comes in. It's like they've done in previous years. They brought in guys like uh, Dougal Howard. They brought in James Frawley, and this is just some some uh, some cover at the Mason base. Wood. They have Mason was Nathan, Wood. Was it Nathan Brown they picked up from Collingwood a couple they of years ago? They did pick up Nathan Brown. Yeah. Yeah. They just pick up obscure key defenders that hang around for a couple of years and then move on. I mean, it's, credit, uh, both Nathan thing. Brown and um, Cordy do have premierships under their names. So. Yep. So does Brent Renault. It doesn't make him a good AFL footballer. Oh, so unfortunately, does Roy Stanley, which makes me absolutely sick. <laughs> Um, okay, on to uh, the other deals that happened today. So Brisbane were busy, um, probably a lot busier than um, we had hoped because I was hoping to get in on – the Hawks would get in on some of these deals, but they haven't managed to. But uh, the first trade that they did was trading with GWS. So GWS traded pick 22 and a future second-round pick to Brisbane for Brisbane's pick 15, uh, keeping in mind 15 was going to get um, swallowed up in the Ashcroft and or Fletcher bids. Uh, and we touched, we touched on the fact that now GWS have uh, three, 12, 15 and 19. Um, but it also gave Brisbane a bit more flexibility to then go and make some more trades. Um, they traded Thomas Berry, uh, the not as good Berry brother that was on the Lions list, pick 46 and, a, and the future second round pick to the Gold Coast for pick 25. 36 and 56. So stocking up on points to match those bids. Uh, do we have any hot takes on those those deals, guys? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I don't think Tom Berry's useless. He's obviously not as good as his brother. Um, a little bit younger. It's just, yeah, like you say, it's just making sure that Brisbane have the points to get Ashcroft and Fletcher. And obviously Gold Coast wanted a little sweetener with a sort of speculative player to 20, 21-year-old kids. So, yeah, I think in terms of where Gold Coast and Brisbane are at, I think it kind of works pretty well for both sides. Yep, file that one under the a thing that happened list as well. Most of today is a thing that happened, uh, AJ. Um, and then the other one that went through today was that St Kilda traded Ben Long for a future fourth uh, and a future fourth round pick for pick 32 in this year's draft. I actually think Ben Long will be pretty good for the Suns. I think um, too often the Suns are hit and miss with the level of aggression they bring to a contest from week to week. And if nothing else, I think Long has some real deficiencies in his game, but what he is is a a bloody hard nut. And I think bringing that hardness um, will help the way that the his teammates around him go about attacking the footy. Any contrary thoughts there? I don't mind the idea of he and Brandon Ellis in a kind of 
being parts of that back line. I, I think I've said this before, Brendan Ellis is a guy that I've always really been a fan of and I like what he brought to Gold Coast. Those two together in a team, it, it probably does add a little bit of grunt and a little bit of leadership. And Brandon hasn't really had that other player to do similar things to him since he got to the Sun. So I think that's a really good pickup for Gold Coast. Yeah, I actually agree. I actually don't mind Ben Long. Um, same as everyone else. I mean, he only knows one way. I think he's played some pretty good footy at times for the Saints. Um, look, he's never going to be an All-Australian halfback or a superstar, but I definitely think he could uh, play a decent role up at the Suns there too. And they, they really have to bounce next year. With, with Ben King back, you know, they've got a pretty settled list now. Obviously, you know, they're giving off bows for a bag of chips, but I think now's the time for them. I mean, with what, the 12 years into their existence and they've played in the final, I, I think they really have to, to bounce now. And this is a, a player that can probably improve them straight away. We're also forgetting it's almost slipped under the radar with Gold Coast because everyone's been talking about the Bow situation and the pick that's coming back with it is what happens with the deal to get rank into Adelaide and what Gold Coast pick up out of that and what they lose. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the ranking one's a must-watch over the next few days because, uh, you know, clearly Gold Coast were happy to move on pick seven because they have it in their minds that they're getting pick five at least for ranking. So... What they do with that pick five, I mean, you know, you'd expect them to go to the draft, but it's no sure thing because Gold Coast love to do weird stuff. And like Nat said, they, they have to make next year a winner. But if they don't, they're staring down the barrel of, you know, potentially having to retweak things again for the 14th time in their 12th year history. 12 year history. So it's, um, it's a rock and a hard place kind of situation for the Suns next year, I reckon. I uh, just got a good question from Paddy Malone on the, on the chat feed here. And AJ, obviously this applies to us being both Tasmanian. His question is, what do you uh, see happening with the Tasmanian sponsorship deal at the end of the year? Um, I reckon the deal is as good as done to continue on. That's, I think the government understands that it, it, is a, it is a very important piece of Tasmanian tourism for the... Uh, Sorry, I'm butchering my words here, boys. Um, it's a very important piece of Tasmanian tourism in terms of the exposure that's brought, even by Hawthorne not being that great at the moment. Um, I think Taz is also well aware that if a team does get off the ground, it's looking more and more likely. That's still five, maybe six years away from happening. So they need to continue to have football coming down to the state. The deal with North expires at the end of this year, deal with Hawthorne expires at the end of this year. I think both of those get up for another extended period of time. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just rolling one-year contracts and that gives them the flexibility uh, to be able to just keep topping it up as long as they need to without being locked into any sort of multi-year deal, depending on what the Tassie, the Tassie team, how long it takes. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think because, as you've said, like even with the Macquarie Point Stadium and what's going on there, the having a Tasmanian side in the AFL is probably not going to happen until at least 2026, 2027 at the So, look, it probably will. It's Look, it's, it's on its dying legs. It will finish um, in the next five or six years. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I don't think that's a bad result for all parties, to be perfectly honest, particularly now that our club, having finally got out of gaming and the revenue that we've got from selling those venues with Dingley coming, we are quite self-sufficient now. We're not in the same position we were in in 2001 when we first went down to Tassie. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of keeping football content in Tassie, they need to keep some AFL games down there. Um, I know that the sponsorship deal is pretty unpopular down there at the moment. 
um, particularly with the talk of the AFL team. Um, but I think it will keep going until we get, well, we, I'll still stay we, but until Tassie get um, the AFL team up and running. And you'd remember this as well as I did, Matt, that there were, I remember, you know, we got 10,000-odd Tasmanian members. You'd know this as well as I did. A lot of those members were not Hawthorne supporters. They were people who had jumped on membership so that they could get discounted access to the games. So whilst we had a large following unofficially in Tasmania, we still do, and we're still, I would say, the most popular club in Tasmania comfortably, there was a lot of love for football as opposed to love for Hawthorne in those deals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, prime example, I have a good mate who's a Collingwood supporter. His brother is a Brisbane supporter and his dad's a Hawthorne supporter. And they all had Hawthorne memberships just so they could go to the footy, particularly before North came down and the Hawthorne games when we were an extremely good football team and we'd play, you know, decent opponents down there all the time. It was quite a big ticket. That has waned quite a lot now because people, I'm going to be honest, are completely sick of the AFL treating Tassie the way they are, and there are a lot. There is a lot of apathy towards the AFL now, which I only think a Tasmanian AFL team can fix. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was particularly in the mid to late 2000s, early 2010s, when we were a really, really good footy side. You're, you're dead right. There was a lot of my cousin's an Essendon supporter, and he had a Hawthorne membership, which was yeah, the most. That's <laughs> pretty. That's, that's that's pretty crook. Yeah, but yeah. you you hit the nail on the head there. You know, even when it was the only games that we could get access to. And I was, you know, trying to get to Melbourne two or three times a year when I was still living at home. But how many times can you watch Hawthorne play the Gold Coast? Yeah. And it seemed like it was always the Gold Coast. Yes, it was. Yeah, in GWS or Freo. And then occasionally, occasionally a, a low-budget Victorian team like the Western Bulldogs or someone like that at the time, which was a nice change. <laughs> Absolutely. Variety is the spice of life. Um, Nat, I want to chuck to you, you you chatted to me um, earlier today about, and you touched on it earlier, about the move of Ollie Henry or the potential move of Ollie Henry because of homesickness and wanting to play with his brother, 75Ks down the highway. And I guess some of these young guys, uh, Jason Horn Francis and Tanner Brune, who don't want to go into state and put in a transfer request after one, two or so years. I know you've got some thoughts on it, mates. I'm leaving the space open for you to tee off. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. No, I was just, I'm, I'm in a chat group with a couple of blokes. I, I won't name who they are that played league footy and both got drafted into state and uh, they're in the system for probably five or six years. And one of them today, who's pretty quiet normally, he um, doesn't really say a lot, but he just went nuts. Like he's like, it's time for these kids basically to grow up a little bit. And, you know, he's pretty well qualified given that he did have to move into state to, to play AFL footy. You know, he was in the system until maybe, what, three or four years ago. He was in the system for five or six years. So I just thought it was an interesting uh, perspective for someone that's actually lived it and is much more qualified to talk about it than, you know, anyone else that hasn't played league footy, that he's of the opinion that, if, that the team that drafts you, you've got an obligation almost to to stick it out for a bit longer. And I just thought, you now anyone that wants to answer this off the floor, is it time to raise the mandatory contract for a draft pick to potentially three years for a first rounder and four years for a first rounder, three years for a second and have a rolling system like that rather than just the two? Because, I mean, North would have been, I think they'll come out of it okay, but they would have been absolutely gutted when Horn Francis requested his trade. And same with GWS for Broon and same with Collingwood for Henry. The one that always sticks out for me in that situation is the the go-home five from Brisbane. 
back in 2014. Oh, they got shafted that year, didn't they? With Elliot, yeah, Yale, Doherty, Pollock, Doherty. Uh, Billy yeah. Longer was another one of those go home five, and yeah, ended up as Kilda. Nearly ended up a Hawthorne for a hot minute there. Thank God he didn't. Yeah, yep. I'm I'm far happier we got Ben McAvoy that year. I'll put it that way. But uh, yep. it's burnt into my memory is uh, Pierce Hanley, who obviously had come from Ireland to play football, um, going on Twitter and say uh, tweeting, "Mummy's boys have gone home." It's like that's that kind of says a little bit about how some of the players in the system view that. And I I get the homesickness factor, and you know I don't live in the state that I was born in either. I work interstate now, so I get the homesickness factor. But it's got to be concerning for clubs still that they're drafting guys and now they're walking away after one or two years. The one that absolutely baffles me is Ollie Henry. I mean, I just cannot get my head around it. Like, yes, I understand that you might want to play with your brother, but like Geelong's an hour away, and mate, like you're at Collingwood, like. We're not talking about, you're not playing for St Kilda, you're not playing for North. Like, you're playing in front of 65 rabid fans each week, basically. You are literally 60, playing at the you are biggest li- club yeah, in sport has ever had. 100%. 100%. And you cannot tell me that with the environment that Fly McRae had them, had uh, created for them, sorry, this year, that that wouldn't have been fun playing at that footy club. Like, I just, that's one I really, really struggle to get my head around. And I think, I, yeah. Sorry, Nat. I, I um, interviewed John O'Brien a couple of years ago when he came up and did a charity day and he was talking about a guy who from our region who was at Collingwood and he said, it's as simple as this. If you don't end up when you're drafted at the club you barracked for as a kid, there is no way you want to end up more than Collingwood because everything about that system, about that club, about where you're playing, who you're playing in front of is the dream for a young footballer. I mean, it just, yeah, and like, this is the bloke that, you know, I hate to bring up bad memories, that game in the wet against us. I mean, he's taken a massive plunk in front of, what, 60,000 people. You know, the black and white army are going nuts, and he's literally won the game for them. And then four months later, he wants to leave. I just, yeah, I really struggle to get my head around that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. And I think, you know, your original point was maybe it's time to consider raising the, the let the years in the contract, and I, I absolutely agree, at least for a first-round pick. I think if clubs are investing in them with high-end picks that, you know, they often uh, give up a lot to get, um, they should be protected to, to a certain extent. So um, I'd be saying yes to a, third, um, to a third year on the contract and potentially considering a fourth. I don't think the AFL Players Association has let the fourth, uh, but I think they'd have to give a little bit and potentially let the third Ivan, you got a question tonight? Hey, mate. Uh, yeah, look, pretty gutted about the Bose thing. Um, but just touching on that draft uh, component in terms of contracts, I'm almost inclined to look at the NFL model and basically say, do we? Does the AFL need to look at the the draft age? I know it's a, I know it's that that old pearl that comes out. But if you're looking at an eight, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year old kid you know, they're not really that mature yet living out of home. And then compare that to someone who's 21, 22, 23, maybe. So I don't know if you, and I don't know how they do it, but that's that's probably more so my sort of thing than sticking them on a four-year contract. Um, and also for the Tasmanian, if you can let us know what you think of a kid named Cowan, because I reckon pick 24 at the moment, if he lands, uh, I'd be taking him. I think the difference there with the NFL, obviously, is that you've got the college factor before that, is that you're spending four years in the college system, uh, often living away from home, particularly if you're on a scholarship to play somewhere else. So you kind of 
while you're not in the NFL system, you are in a, a relatively similar system that is helping you grow and develop as a person before you get to the NFL. So there's not quite that comparable system in the AFL yet. No, it probably never will be, unfortunately. Uh, just in regards to Lockie Cowan, um, yeah, I, I think he's probably the best prospect to come out of Tassie in terms of a ready-to-contribute-right-now player in quite a quite a while. Um, originally a Devonport boy. Um, Devonport aren't in the state league anymore, so he's gone down and played with um, a massive club in North Lonnie who have been extremely successful in the last sort of, well, 10 years, really. And, um, no bombers. Yeah, 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 I know you're a North Lonnie boy. Um, yeah, so I I think he'd be a very good pickup for um, whoever picks him up. Um, he's a very, very good user of the footy and knows how to find it very well. So, yeah, if he's still available for us at 24, I wouldn't have any qualms in us getting him at all. Awesome. Thank you, Ivan, for that one. We've got, look, we're over time already, and Ash will kill me if I go too far over, but there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we go. Um, and Scamasaurus has chucked another question in there, all really asking us for comments. So I want to throw it open to you boys, whoever has the strongest opinion on this. Thoughts on Mark McKenzie and his future after this year's draft? He doesn't talk us up at all in interviews to be a destination club, and he seems to sit on his hands a lot. We're not a destination club is my response to that. That's a fair response, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that um, obviously we've been extremely blessed over the last 15 years with how good we've been, and I think it's just it's time for us to a degree, not that I want us to aim low, it's time for us to a degree to take our medicine a bit. I mean, we all did think this was coming. Um, it probably was... Um, exaggerated a little bit by some of the moves that Clarkson made at the end of his tenure. And obviously in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, but um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. We're just not a destination club anymore in terms that's, of... That's not a bad thing. And that's not a knock no, on club not. either. That's no. just, that's just reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of McKenzie, look, I, I'm, I'm willing to obviously give him this draft and see who we select and then how they develop next year. But um, yeah, obviously losing the Bose deal was... A bit of a, a gut punch, as Prinzi said, but I, I do think they gave it as good a shake as they possibly could. I know the financial offer was very good and probably better than Geelong's, and he's obviously going to play with us if he did come to us. It's just that sometimes you just come up second best, unfortunately. I think we also saw a couple of comments, and it might have even been in a couple of the threads that we were tied up in today, boys. That Geelong have been in conversation with Bose for a while now. They've been talking to him for months how late into this conversation did Hawthorne enter the piece? And you're suddenly well and truly behind a club who then went on to win a premiership in that time. So uh, I'm disappointed, but I'm also not annoyed at the club that Bose isn't going to be there next year. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a negative showing on McKenzie at all. No, I tend to agree. And like you said before, it's really more the fact that we don't get pick six and pick seven back to back rather than, Jack Bowes, who's, yeah, like you said, an adequate AFL footballer, but he's probably not going to be the next All-Australian um, or anything like that. Well, he is at the Cats, and the Cats do tend to yeah, get favourable Australian yes. they, do, they do have a habit of just doing ridiculous... Oh. No, no, stop this. No more Geelong love. I'm sick of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sick and tired of tipping my cap. I had one of my best mates who's in my bridal party come over and stay with me from Tassie for uh, the grand final, so I had to pretend to be gracious when... Um, it was killing me inside, to be perfectly honest, boys. Yeah, that's going to absolutely hurt. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. I just want to uh, – what I'll do is I just want to read Brenton's comments on the third year. So he's suggested that the third year should be an opt-in by the club when they draft a player. But if they choose to do it, they have to pay 
the player 20, 200K first year, 300K second year, 400K third year sort of thing. So, um, you know, you can't have a situation where someone like Sam Walsh is on 120K as an All-Australian in his second or third year. Um, thoughts on, on where that sits, fellas, and, and in terms of the staggered salaries or the, or the growth salaries as they progress in that contract if they're forced to a third year? Yeah, I tend to think that that's a pretty good call. Um, the opt-in has to be after the second year, though, so it couldn't be um, on the table straight away. I think, yeah, two years with the option of a third, depending on how you perform. Um, yeah, I think maybe that'd, you can that'd pick, probably maybe be pretty fair. pick up that option at the end of the first year. and Because at the end of year two, you might as well just negotiate a new contract if they're going to stay. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, and look, I think you see some of the um, some of the players that get drafted in the first round now, they extend their contract before they've even played a game sometimes. So um, there's plenty of opportunity to do that if you want to be there at a club long term. And I think... I mean, Young you know, Dacos had signed a four-year contract before they even drafted him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere, is he? The, the kid's a jet. Um, you have a look at, I guess, and to tie it up from a Hawthorne perspective, um, the Hawks haven't been shy in drafting uh, interstate players in the past few years. You know, our first few picks from the last couple of drafts, other than Ward this year, uh, were Denver Granger Barras from WA and Will Day from South Australia. I mean, you know, Day obviously has ties to the club, um, but, you know, there's no concerns around those guys leaving. I guess under under Mitchell, the aim is just to create that culture that makes players want to stay. Obviously, it's a lot harder for startup teams like GWS and, and Gold Coast, but the aim is really to be successful on the field and, and just as importantly to young players these days is be successful in the way you look after your people off the field. And look, you know, one of the things Bows would have had to be considering is, you know, the Hawks are going through a fair bit off the field at the moment. Um, you know, we're going to have a new president. We've got an outspoken one on the way out. We are embroiled in the, the racism thing and we're not going to touch on that tonight. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff which is, you know, a bit murky and if you look at the way the cats are set up, they they probably give him this little side parcel of land for twenty five thousand. Um, Mate, there which, is going to be a real estate company in Marable Street audited one day, and it's going to bring the entire Geelong Football Club down to its knees. Yes. It's uh, it's Carlton under Jack Elliott all over again. Yeah, no, but you, you're dead right. I mean, Geelong do offer something unique, isn't it? You can live, you know, in Barwon Heads or Ocean Grove and Torquay, and you live in a country town basically, and drive up. Drive up and play AFL or train in an AFL club each day. So you can understand why it is Yeah, I'd rather live in Barnet or Ocean Grove than Moggs Creek, mate. You ever driven through Moggs Creek? <laughs> I haven't, no. Yeah, you're not missing much. <laughs> All right. Well, I did produce the Brownlow medalist in fairness to it. <laughs> yeah, but you had to get out to get back. So um, <laughs> on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Um, before I say goodbye, uh, for all of those, thank you guys for jumping on and listening. For anybody that's not already a subscriber to the Hawks Insiders, um, jump on. We've got, uh, I think it's $5 a month or a one-year subscription for 50 bucks. Uh, I've probably said that wrong, and Weesey will correct me in the uh, in our WhatsApp group. Um, but, yeah, jump on and subscribe. Um, allows us to produce content uh, day in, day out and week in, week out. And uh, we have to pay uh, AJ and Nat for their contributions during trade week as well. Um, I think I'm going to have to buy a beer for these boys next time I see them. But, yeah, guys, we uh, really, really appreciate you coming on, AJ and Nat. And thank you so much for uh, holding down the fort uh, spectacularly tonight, fellas. No worries, mate. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Awesome. So, guys, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow night for another Hawks Insiders Trade Week safe space. Um, I think most of the guys should be back on deck tomorrow. Probably Sands uh, Mora, who has just had uh, a young daughter. So we'd love to hear, hear and see you tomorrow night. Thank you so much for your contributions tonight, everyone, for the questions and the, uh, the tweets. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great night.